The following podcast contains explicit language. One definition of explicit language is stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. That's why we use those words. Hello and welcome to episode 301 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Uh, a lot of good stuff on the show today, huh, Ben? We, um, I believe we started off with a conversation about whether you should taper off your studying before the official test. Yeah. And somewhat surprisingly, I think we decided maybe, maybe not. Yeah. How about it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. whether you do or not. <laughs> Stop taking it so damn seriously. Yeah. But uh, anyways, we had a pretty long conversation about whether that's a good idea or not. And I think I certainly have changed my mind on that um, topic just recently, you know, 15 years later teaching the LSAT. Sure. And I think I'm kind of changing my tune on whether you should taper off or take the day off before the test. <laughs> Our conclusion is basically stop being so damn precious about it because you're giving the test more power than it really deserves. Yeah. We read a personal statement from T. Um, T tried to follow my advice in a recent uh, newsletter, a recent lesson uh, with a, a, a template maybe that people could follow um, for writing their personal statement. T was inspired and uh, attempted to follow that template, but uh, I think missed the mark, unfortunately. Sorry, T. Um, we love you. We do, we're not attacking you, um, but that personal statement is uh, pretty much a fail. You need to go back to the drawing board on that one. We had a Pearls versus Turds featuring a, a video from LSAC that we haven't really uh, had time to dig back into, uh, dig into too deeply, but it was about whether you should guess on questions. Uh, that's in Pearls versus Turds. Um, and then we talked about some logical reasoning stuff for uh, a good chunk of time. Yeah. And your lesson to not yell at people or no. <laughs> Yeah, which was related to the to the logical reasoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's related to the logical reasoning. Uh, th then we did a full question. Uh, it turned out to be a matching flaw question that we did in uh, in logical reasoning. This show is going to air on Monday, June seventh. Uh, that means there's about five days until the start of the June LSAT testing week. You've still got almost a month to register for the August LSAT. Probably no need to register for that until you get closer to the deadline. I mean, if it'll give you motivation to register now, then fine. Um, if you are taking the June test, you probably should just go ahead, bite the bullet and register for the August test again, so that you know that you're taking it again, so that you don't give the test too much power you know, law schools only care about your highest score. So most people should be taking the LSAT multiple times and you should just have like multiple overlapping registrations. Uh, that August test, by the way, is uh, mid-August starting on the 14th. Um, one final announcement before we jump into the content for today's show. Uh, on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, I teach a free class, uh, all free LSAT demon uh, or paid, but tons of free folks come to this class um, where we do a weekly check-in on where you're at. Uh, right now, we're going to be definitely talking about last minute, like stuff before the June LSAT. When you hear this, 
there will be one more of those June LSAT study group classes uh, coming up this Thursday, right before the beginning of the June LSAT. We'll probably talk about whether you should withdraw or not if you think you're really not ready. We might uh, extend this conversation about whether you should take the day off uh, the day before the test. But uh, anyway, you can come ask me any question. All you got to do is register for that with a free LSAT Demon account. Hey, so the June LSAT's right around the corner. Um, this show is going to air, boy, like days for some people before yeah. the June LSAT starts. Um, I wanted to talk to you, Ben. I have some thoughts on it, but let me just get your like gut reaction sure. and then we can talk about it. What do you think about tapering down your studies at the end, like before your official test? What, what's your opinion well, on tapering? I've always thought that people should not do something the day before. And recently, or I guess over the last year or so, I've been saying that if you feel the need to taper down more than that, I kind of question whether you're doing too much already. Like in my mind, wait, what? To begin with. To, you're just yeah. doing too much to begin with. Like you're, you've been studying an uncivilized, unsustainable amount if you really feel like you need to take time off yeah. before the official test. Maybe you just shouldn't be studying that much, even if it's exactly. Six weeks I think that when we study, we should study for an hour to two hours a day, and as you always say, it should be your best hour. And by best hour, I take that to mean at the best time of day for you to study, and also be the hour in which you are the most intensely focused on what you're doing and pushing the ball forward with the test, right? Not lazily reading a question and ch ch chatting with somebody in text or anything like this. this is going after the things that are giving you trouble and really digging into them and understanding them. Sure. But in a way that's sustainable, so you can do it today and you can do it tomorrow and you can do it the next day. So when you get closer to a test, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that, I guess, cooling off a little bit. But if you really need to cool off, yeah, my question would be, have you been doing too much all along? Yeah, and I 100% agree on that. Um, you want to study a civilized, yeah. productive amount yeah. kind of constantly. Now, you know, not, not to mention, you're probably not going to just take the LSAT once. I mean, I know that's your fantasy that you want to just take it once and... Sure, if it goes well, you know, fine. Maybe you do only take it once, but most people are going to take it two times or three times. And I, so you should be kind of thinking about the yeah. long haul, I guess, anyway. Um, so we agree on that. But, you know, I, f since the very beginning of, of me teaching LSAT 15 years ago, I've always... I've always like kind of harped on the idea that, okay, well, we're definitely going to take the day off before the test, right? We're not going to study at sure. all the day before the test, right? And I still do believe in, you know, going to the movies or whatever, something relaxing the night before to kind of take your mind off it. Movies are great for that. You know, it's immersive. Um, 
I saw A Quiet Place Part 2 last night in the theater. It was surprisingly good. It's so weird that they made a sequel of that movie. But anyway. Oh, yeah, my son wants um, to see that. Maybe I'll go see it. My hesitation was that the end of that movie really pissed me off because I was like, you're telling me that no military has figured out that sound is their weakness? <laughs> oh, there's all kinds of dumb shit in that movie. I mean, it's uh, I think it's what we would call high concept. And you have to just sort of... Um, yeah, you yeah. just gotta kind of go with it. <laughs> I mean, there's in the second one too. Yeah. I was just like, well, that makes no sense, and that makes no sense, and wait, they did what now? Like, oh my god, that's a terrible idea. Um, yeah. But anyway, whatever. It's still fun. It's a fun, stupid movie. Um, and there's things about it that are smart too. Hey, whatever. This is not a film show. Um, but here's here's the mm-hmm. thing about this tapering yeah. or the taking the day off, right? I I wonder if it conflicts with our other advice, which is don't do anything different or special on the day of the official test. You know how people sometimes have practice test scores that are like average 165 plus or minus three, and then on their official test, they score 155? Yeah. I wonder if that's if that comes from people taking the official test too seriously, giving it like too much sure. respect. Because we don't tell people to take the day off before and the Saturday proctored exam. Sure. That's what I'm saying. And so and I, I, I've been thinking about it a bit. I wanted to talk to you about it, but I I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to get away from this idea that if you're going to take the day off before your official test, then you probably should also be taking the day off before all of those practice tests, because otherwise you are necessarily doing something different for the official test yeah. than you did for your practice test. in a random variable for the official test? It's no different. Right. If we want, I mean, because I mean, that's really my number one. People are like, well, how do I avoid anxiety on test day? And I'm like, well, it's just another practice test. Treat it like it's just another practice test. Well, so as you're talking, one thing I'm thinking about is that our advice to take the day off before, I think, was in part a reaction to the fact that so many people are trying to cram the day before. Right. Well, exactly. And, and I think that's where yeah. the tapering came from in the first place is that it's like far from doubling down on your study time and, you know, cramming in like you did for your college exams. I mean, people don't understand that the LSAT is just not a test of knowledge. And like, yeah, you can cram for your chemistry test or whatever that you took in college, but you cannot cram for the LSAT. No, it's much it more like a sport. Way. It's not like a just stuff it into your brain and then barf it out. It's like, no, you need to get good at playing. Yep. And that's not going to change in one day. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Not going to happen at the last minute. So we've, we've tried to convince people that they shouldn't do extra studying on the week of the test or especially the day before the test. But I think maybe I'm going to change my tune a little bit on this whole idea about you know, take the day off or taper down during the week before. Because, man, I just do not want people doing different weird stuff. 
Did you see that conversation that I had on Slack, Ben, no. with one of our tutors about, well, <laughs> there was a student who kept scoring like wildly different on official tests than they were scoring on the, on the, mm. um, on their practice test. And I just had a feeling I was like, well, they got to be doing sure. something different. And they claimed that they were doing yeah. everything exactly the same. Nope. Doing everything exactly the same. And I was like, really exactly the same. Are you sure you're not trying to finish the sections or, you know, you sure you're not triple checking questions on the day of the official test or, you know, like strategically yeah. I was thinking doing something different. Nope. Nope. Hundred percent, doing yeah. everything exactly the same, and I was like, "Shit, I don't know, man. This is a mystery. I don't know what's going on." And then I finally asked the tutor, "I'm like, are are they like are they are they taking the test on like the same computer and in the same place and and all that?" And the tutor finds out, "Oh no, actually, this student because they wanted a quiet spot to take the test." They had actually taken LSAC up on their offer hmm. of a hotel room. And so they were taking the official test in a hotel room. Which is totally 100% different from all of their practice tests. I mean, you're what? You're, you're in a totally different physical environment like it couldn't be more different yeah. in that way. It, it It's interesting. Cause I could see that being a difference for some people that makes a difference in their score at the same time, just to play devil's advocate here. That's kind of like one of those things where, okay, it's different, but you shouldn't give a shit, right? Like, uh, Oh, uh, totally. And, and I'm not saying that it necessarily yeah. should, yeah change everything but it could <laughs> and uh if i don't have any other explanation for why this student is scoring you know like dramatically lower on their official test than they did on all their other tests and i've already been through the whole well wait a second are you like trying for your best score on the day of the test because that's not what you're supposed yeah. to do you're supposed to be like embracing the middle of your range and or, you know, are you being like extra super careful, like triple checking and running out of time because you're, you're triple checking stuff or, you know, are you, are, and, and if I've gone through all of those questions and the student is like, nope, hundred percent, just trying to do everything, just trying to treat it like it's just another practice test. But then you find out that they're going to an unfamiliar hotel room somewhere to sit and take the official tests somewhere different than they've been taking all of their mm -hmm. practice tests. Well, then that now becomes my best hypothesis for why, you know, and, and I, and I know that it, it, it must also be changing the way the student is approaching yeah. the actual questions. And, and that doesn't have to be, but it sure yeah. as hell seems like it is. Well, so let me recap what we're saying just to get my mind wrapped around it. One, people have this tendency yeah. to cram, to double down, to uh, even just take practice tests, right? Full practice tests the day before the official test 
because they want to get a score oh, yeah. that's high and then feel good about that. It's like it's almost like they're not even taking the test to learn. They're yeah. just pulling the slot lever and hoping to get a good score and then feel good about that. I've even heard people who take the test twice, right? Hopefully we've disabused people of that notion. But it's like they get a bad score in the morning and they're like, oh, damn, the official test is tomorrow. It's like, let me take a full nother test to see if I can get a good score on record, which none of this is doing you any good. It's like running, you know, a 5K, not being happy with your time and then running a 5K again because tomorrow you have the actual 5K. It's just really bad. Right. But anyways, so we reacted to that and we said, look, knock it off. Don't do anything the day before. And you're saying, wait a sec, maybe that's a little bit of, you know, maybe an overreaction to the overreaction (laughs) and we should just. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering also, um, do you remember the whole thing about Mike? This is from like way back. The NyQuil guy, he couldn't sleep, you know, because he, he, but he did everything anybody ever asked him, right? Like lawyers tend to be Mm -hmm. really good worker bees, right? They got good grades in college because they, that's what they want to do is like have a bunch of assignments and then do 120% of all of those assignments. And so I remember Mike had taken all of our advice to heart a thousand percent, trying to do everything perfectly right. And then he, you know, absolutely took the day off before the test and went to the movies and was following all of our prescriptions and then couldn't sleep. And it's like, well, okay. I mean, you, Maybe we need to just decide that the official test isn't that big of a deal. Well, it's not. I think that's where I I was going with this because in some ways it's like, okay, so then it sounds like the advice is just do what you've always done. But I could even see people taking that to the extreme, right? Like, oh, I've never taken this in a hotel room before, so I must not take it in a hotel room. And it's like, yes, like you're saying that could be a problem, but... (laughs) it might be a bigger problem just to be so obsessed about that perfect environment. Right. Oh, Ben and Nathan have said, uh, treat the official tests like all my practice tests. So I can't deviate that in the slightest. And I, you know, we see people doing that and it's like, really the advice is chill the fuck out. Just stop thinking about this so much. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Stop giving the test so much power. You're doing great on your practice tests because, you know, you, I hope you give them your full attention Mm -hmm. and try to get the questions right. I mean, I think people do try to do their best when they're sitting there doing a practice test. And on your official test, I want you to sit there and try to do your best. But you don't need to be obsessing about it for four weeks in advance and you know like triple highlighted red letter day on your calendar and engineering your whole life so that you can make sure that you do the test perfectly life is not perfect nothing about nothing about any of probably your previous practice tests they weren't perfect your circumstances weren't perfect the week before wasn't perfect you might have had a couple beers too many the night before I, I, I like it's that's okay probably because what's the the biggest disaster is 
to give the test the official day of the test to give it so much attention and so much respect you know yeah it's like trying to force yeah. yourself to sleep or trying to force yourself to relax and you can't do it because you're you're so obsessed with the idea it's like your wedding day like well my wedding day is going to be the most beautiful yeah. perfect special yeah. day you know no it's not it's going to be great it's going to be a party it's going to be fun but man the more you obsess about trying to make it exactly 100 percent perfect you're just setting yourself up for disaster because the second anything goes wrong yeah then you're crying you know, or then it, you're so pissed at your best friend because they ruined it because they didn't do like whatever one thing that was planned or whatever. The weather's bad, you know, anything can happen. And I don't know. I think um, I think maybe that's where I'm at with it now. Like, yeah, you want to take the night off before or take the day off before the test? Fine. Or you want to do a little bit of studying the day before the test? Also yeah. fine. I don't care. I, I I want you to care about it. It's ironic, I suppose, but I want you to yeah. care about it less. Well, I think it's actually a good analogy. As you know, I'm getting married in September. And thank you. We uh, submitted a schedule to one of the vendors and said, hey, we're going to have the ceremony at this time and then dinner at this time. And they were just all hour increments. And they wrote back and they're like, well, these things are going to take less than an hour or more than an hour. And we're like, yeah, we don't really care. <laughs> the, t the schedule was not about this is exactly right. when things are going to happen. It's just a rough schedule. So people know, eh, this is how the evening is going to unfold. Things will start sooner than the schedule says, and things will start later than the schedule says. But it doesn't matter. The same should be true about your, the week, the month, but or the days leading up to your official test. There's a rough outline of what you're going to do, and it should be close to what you have been doing. But if it doesn't match it, if you can't sleep, eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you should be you should be planning to take the test again anyway if it doesn't totally work out in your favor. Schools only care about your highest score. Whether it's your first test or your third test, it it shouldn't really make much of a difference in your whole strategy and yeah. your whole outlook and everything. It should just be like, well, I've put in a lot of studying. I know that my practice tests indicate a score that will get me where I want to go. If I get that on this official test, great. And if I don't, then I'm going to take it again. And I'm just not going to like give the test so much power I'm not going to like, even in the relaxing, right? I'm not going to like take the relaxing yeah. so seriously <laughs> that I end up causing this stress uh, sorry, bomb to go not off. Not to belabor this point, but you just made me think of two more things. So I really like how you said you can take it again. When you have the presumption that you're going to take the test five times, right? It really, it dethrones yeah. the next one because it's like, that's just one of five. Yeah. So yeah, good luck with that. The second thing is, I remember listening to a meditation session just like a week ago. You said something about relaxing. And in the meditation, she's like, you know, the meditation is trying to help you relax. But she's like, the very first thing she said was stop trying to relax. Like, just let go of that. Like, 
Right. It will come maybe like it's that like, oh, I have to be relaxed that like right. makes you struggle. <laughs> yeah. All the meditation stuff that I've ever like, well, anything that I've ever actually yeah. connected with, it's always been like, well, you're going to yeah. just try to observe your thoughts and you just want to notice when and that's okay. you're having thoughts. <laughs> you can't yeah. force yourself to think about nothing. You can just sort of observe, oh, now I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. And you yep. just like let it pass. And it's you, you can't force yourself to clear your mind. You just have to be aware of what's going on inside your mind and just watch it. And then the more you practice it, the better and better you'll get at it. Yeah. I've never had test anxiety. You know, I like my heart will pound sometimes on the first tee if I'm playing in a golf tournament that I care about. I think that's the closest thing I have to that experience of being like really nervous about a a moment or a, a performance, you know, but I, golf is, it's actually a pretty good analogy because if I do anything different or extra or special on the day before I have an important golf thing, it definitely just makes me more stressed out. It de definitely doesn't help me. Even if I like try to force myself to be calm or whatever, that's not, it's, that's not a thing. You just have to figure out a way. I think the best thing is to just, Accept that there is a range of outcomes, you know, like embrace the entirety of your range of scores and realize that today might not be your day or it might be yeah. your day. And some people might walk away from this conversation thinking, oh, I need, I shouldn't have test anxiety. That means I'm doing something wrong. And we're just saying, actually, no. none of it matters. <laughs> If you feel test anxiety, so yeah. do a like, thousand other test takers and just accept that, acknowledge it yeah. and go take the test. Yeah. If your heart is pounding as you're answering the first question, or if you get stuck on question number four and you start to freak out, you just need to sort of recognize it like, oh, I wasn't expecting this one to be that hard, but for whatever reason, I'm and missing it's something. stressing me here. out. Okay. And it's stressing me out and my heart is pounding and I'm, my palms are sweaty and whatever. And, but it's okay because it's just another practice test and I'm going to take the test again anyway. And I just got to do my best yeah. on this question. And cause that's all I can really ever yeah. control anyway. Yeah. Cool. All right. No, I think that was a useful discussion. Um, I'd never really thought about it before. I think I had always just sort of, without thinking about it too deeply, had always just said, ah, yeah, definitely take the day off because you need to, you know, rest up or what you, I, what I really meant was you don't, I don't want you to burn out the day before the test. But I think people can like relax so hard that they then <laughs> cause exactly the stress bomb that we want to try to avoid if we can. All right. Anyway, um, whether you study the day before the test or don't study the day before the test, I don't give a shit. Do what you want. Yep. Don't take it so seriously. <laughs> Just it doesn't matter. Definitely don't do two full practice tests the day before the test. Yeah. 
you know, <laughs> like, yeah. don't do extra. If you want to take the day off, good. You've already prepared. You're ready. You're not going to forget everything on the day before the test. You're also not going to cram in anything extra the day before the test. So just relax. Don't take it so seriously. It's fine. All right. Um, you want to check out this email? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. This is T's personal statement. Hi. I was so inspired by the recent personal statement newsletter that I gave the format a try. Okay, cool. So this is your I am, I did, and I do format, right? And then optionally, I will, if people feel like they need, you know, they're, they're clearly making some big transition. They've been a professional athlete or something, and now all of a sudden they want to go to law school. They might need to put, I, I, you know, one sentence at the very end or two sentences at the very end that says I will. But basically, yeah, I am like, here's here's who I am in the world. And then I did so that you, you kind of go back in time, show a little bit of where you came from. I do. And we want to really expand on who you are today because that's the person the law school is actually getting, not the person you were. And the person that you will be is totally speculative. So you, you don't really get to say more than a sentence or two in my book about what you will do. Yeah. But you focus on what you do now. That's the bulk of the statement, really. I did. I do. Probably wrap it up there in most cases. Um, anyway. Yeah. Cool. Um, <clears throat> T continues. Please let me know what you think. And a follow-up question about writing an addendum for a GPA that is low, period. As a first-year undergrad, I followed the path of my family members into a biology major. I struggled to stay motivated because I was completely not interested in the subject and then took too long to change majors. In my third year, I switched to a history major. I graduated with departmental honors in history, but my GPA had suffered. I graduated with a 3.4. Would you recommend I write an addendum? I've since earned a 3.6 while earning a master's degree. Okay. <laughs> I know don't that care. they usually don't care about that. Great. So we don't need to worry about that. With the help of the LSAT demon so far, I've climbed up from a 155 to a 164 on practice tests. Hoping to hit 169 plus. Okay. Got it. Um, I would say, okay, <laughs> we get these GPA addendums questions all the time. And I feel like our advice is always the same. If you have, uh, if the more recent semesters or years are a higher GPA, then simply say, you know, I maybe I, I struggled my first two years, but after this, it, my last two semesters GPA is X, which is obviously going to be higher now because it excludes the lower grades that are pulling down your GPA average and then just stop. Yeah, you just, uh, this is a perfect place to write an addendum. They're not going to care that much because your GPA is what your GPA is and they're going to have to report whatever your LSAC GPA is. So it's a marginal issue. Like it, it might help you a little bit to write this addendum. I would do what Ben says and stick to the facts. Basically say, you know, I switched majors. I started as a biology major. Everyone knows biology majors are hard. So you say you started as a biology major, then you switched into history because you, but, but 
and then say, you know, I had a 4.0 in history. Done. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, just get out. The, the goal here is to give them a legit number that's a lot higher so that on a subjective level, they can have a higher number floating around in their head. Yeah, they can kind of anchor on that and go like, well, maybe this person's a diamond in the rough. Look at their LSAT score. It, it clearly reflects that they've got the horsepower to do this. And, you know, their their cumulative GPA of 3.4. Well, that's because they started as a biology major and they're actually more of this, you know, in history, they had a 4.0. So great. And, and let me double down here. Do not yeah. elaborate. Like I struggled well, to a... stay motivated because I was no, complete, like exactly. none of that. Just like, oh, I started with a biology major, which was challenging, period. I switched to history at from that point on. I had a 4.0 period. Done. Yeah, I, I think T is like explaining it to us. Yeah. But boy, people love oversharing on documents that they even when, you know, we see like, oh, here's a draft of my addendum. And it's like, if you say I struggled to stay motivated because I was completely not interested in the subject. Yeah. That is not a point in your favor. Nope. Shows poor <laughs> judgment. I took too long to change majors. Poor judgment. You're just bringing emphasis to yeah. bad decisions. It's like, no, not only that, let's just say you struggled and move on. Yeah, not only that, but it's also this like excuse making, right? Yeah. It's just this like, oh, this is the type of person who doesn't think they ever do anything wrong. It's never their fault. You know, they're not willing to take responsibility for their low grades. They just want to talk about how they were completely, you know, oh, I followed my family into this and I was completely not interested in it. I just didn't want to do it. And that's why I didn't do well. You know, that tone is like, and I, and I don't think that that's T's intention at all here, but people do need to be really careful not to even come close to that no. <laughs> type of a thing. I would say one more thing too. We don't read these very often compared to <laughs> the amount of times that admissions officers read these, obviously, right? Because that's not our job, but we've read enough of them that when I see an addendum, an addendum, it's supposed to be a short explanation for right. one specific thing. Right. And it's already a fat paragraph. I mean, some of these are like a page and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm vomiting. But even a fat paragraph, I'm like, oh, dear God, it seems like you're going to just right. start explaining too much. These are one or two sentences, tops. Yeah, stick to the facts. I started as a biology major. I switched into history as a junior. My GPA from that point forward was a 4.0 with departmental honors. Mic drop. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows biology's hard. They're going to go like, oh yeah, biology, that's hard. Mm -hmm. But if you start making all these excuses about motivation and not interested in it and followed your family that way and, you know, maybe it's not your fault because you wanted to do what they did. It's like, don't just don't go there because it makes you look like a, uh, what, like a whiner or like a blamer. Yeah. I'm not saying you are at all, T. I just don't want you to even hint at that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Ready for the actual personal statement? Yeah, let's check it out. So T is supposedly following the format that you gave. Again, that's I am, I did, I do, and maybe I will. Yeah, and, and I think T did a good job trying to follow the format. 
Okay. But T also is ignoring a lot of our other advice on the show, uh, particularly the syntax and the verb choices. The subjects and the verbs here are very poorly chosen in my view. But anyway, I'll let you read it. Sure. Okay. First sentence. My small business is a tutoring LLC. Okay. Well, I love that your first sentence is short, T, but the subject is your business, which is kind of abstract. And the focus of this sentence is on this idea that it's an LLC, which I don't really care about what the legal classification of your business is. And the verb is the super boring passive is. is. Yeah form of the verb to be everybody needs to get rid of the verb to be in their personal statement i'm not saying you can't ever use it and to be fair i look am out. is a to be <laughs> verb but yeah yeah but at least i is the subject of that sentence yeah. and it's a it, you know read the next sentence okay uh double space for some interesting reason i am the sole owner operator and tutor I think you just combine those two sentences into one. Yeah. And say, I am the sole owner and operator of a tutoring LLC. Yeah. If you have to say LLC, I don't know what LLC does for you. You could just say company. Yeah. Or <laughs> I, it's almost like I, I kind of want to skip the I am portion of your format and say something like three years ago comma i started a tutoring business like that's fine actually that that's fine i i you don't actually need to have a sentence that says i am blank yeah yeah i think what i was really trying to get across is in the first couple sentences we got to have some clue who you are yeah I mean, if and if it's not coming through, yeah. because a lot of times people like start going into their history of what happened 10 years ago. And, you know, when I crossed the border into whatever, <laughs> and it's like, what? Who are you? Where are we? What are we doing? What, I looked what across this? the street and saw the young girl crying yeah, for I, her I mother. Want... And it's like, what? <laughs> It drops you in too abruptly without like, you know, if this is, this could be the first thing, like they, they might not have looked at your resume. They yeah. might not have looked at your transcripts. They, they probably have your LSAT and GPA and they start reading this and they want to know who you are. Like, what's your brand? Who are you? What, what's your, what's your deal? And you don't have to say, I am a tutor, mm -hmm. but you could, yeah you know, and it's if you more natural to. for people, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe, um, Let's see if we can get through this. Can you read the whole first paragraph and I'll shut up? Sure. My work supports the aspirations of teenagers looking to increase their ACT and SAT scores. Okay, again, that's an interesting subject, my work. Students gain skills and confidence while working with me, semicolon. I've enjoyed 10 years of positive reviews, recommendations, and clients coming back for their younger kids. Okay. My business framework has grown to include both teaching small classes and working with students abroad. All right. I see what you're saying about these subjects. A lot of these subjects are abstract concepts. My work, my yeah. framework, my business. Uh, there is even and one case. And it keeps case. going. Yeah. The entire statement's like that. 
Interesting. Interesting. You're allowed to use I as the subject of your sentences. You don't have to do it for every sentence because that would be boring. But go ahead and use I. It's a personal (laughs) statement. Maybe people are... We're here to learn about you. Yeah. People are probably reacting to those essays they wrote in school when they started saying things like, I think this, I think that. Oh, right. And the teacher was like, stop saying I. But that's because you're saying an unnecessary phrase. You could just say what you think. Anyways. Yeah. I don't want I think, I learned, I feel. Yeah. I don't want any of that shit. I want I did. I, active verb. Yep. That's fine. It, you don't need, I mean, my business framework <laughs> is the subject of that last sentence. And the verb is has. Yeah. Has grown, I guess. I guess it's a past tense of grow. My business framework has grown. Well, the, the it's a lost opportunity, right? Basically, you're actually, you did something, but now you're attributing that work that you did to some mysterious passive framework. force. My framework has grown. Like what what grew it? <laughs> well, that whole sen- that sentence could be I now teach small classes yep. and work with students abroad. Then you'd be like, "Damn. Okay, cool." It's far fewer words. Yeah. And and we get it. That I mean, what your business framework has grown? Come on now, that's like just intentionally forcing in this weird MBA bullshit. Yeah. All right, next paragraph. Yeah, the various steps needed to get here. <laughs> okay, that's your subject. It's a long subject. It's uh, seven words. Have included the logistics involved in creating a small business. Okay, now you're just, you're like overselling. Wordy overselling. Oh, hell yeah. Brutally overselling it. We, that sentence is content free, by the way. (laughs) We already know that you're the sole owner operator of a business. So yeah, the various steps needed to get here have included the logistics involved in creating a small business, no shit. We already knew that. <laughs> that's like does nothing at all. I mean, that's like really, literally, it's content free. Content free. Yeah, I like this. It's like uh, Coke Zero, but this is like content zero. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> content zero. That's funny. Okay. I registered a business name on the state level. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> you wow. filled out a form online. I mean, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, T. I developed... Well, this is like T trying... This is where they're like, try too hard to make it sound like lawyer shit. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about that, T. That's not impressive at all. You working with customers is impressive. You hustling to get business, that's impressive. You doing really good work, you know, going out of your way to delight your clients and getting all these great reviews, that shit is actually impressive. You going on the website to register your business name Come on. Yeah. I developed a website featuring my logo, business portrait, business portrait, and links to test prep resources. Maybe. It's things you did. 
Yeah. Feels a little like overselling though. Like I, you just, the thing is you invite the, the, the reader. I can see Ben doing it. I can see it in his face. Ben's just like, Oh Jesus, how hard is it to go on Squarespace and make a cheesy business? It's a template. You uploaded a photo. Yeah. You put some links where, what, how long did that take? 15 minutes. Yeah. Over time, I improved my curricula. Kind of seems like a big word unnecessarily, but anyways, by updating the study materials and by learning from other tutors. I don't know if I would explain how you did that. I think I would just, I don't know. Okay, cool. Um, I've written tutor-client agreements to be signed and i boo, boo. <laughs> yeah that's that's boo. trying to be like a lawyer <laughs> that's trying to be a lawyer please do not try to be a lawyer yeah we know that you're not a lawyer you're applying to law school it's the most naive thing you can possibly do honestly is to talk about remember what did we have one really recently right where it, where someone was kind of doing that saying oh it was it was the last paragraph of the, of car, the sale. car sales yeah it was what was it signing agree no Negotiating something about the, yeah, about the contractual something. It was like, dude, come on. (laughs) Legally binding. Exactly. I want to learn how to craft legally bind. Okay. We know you're going to law school. We get it. And you're not a lawyer right now. So stop talking about lawyer shit. Like it, you want to demonstrate aptitude, but you don't want to ever verge into this area of like, oh, well, I'm already, you know, basically a lawyer. I mean, I've crafted all of these <laughs> tutor client agreements. Tutor client. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. And I am- we're so much more interested in the fact that you invoiced a client and got paid. That's way more interesting. If you if you did the work for these people, you invoiced them and got paid. That's way more interesting than the stupid contract you made them sign and, for no reason. Yeah. And along those lines, you got paid and you got repeat business. It means that you know how to run a business successfully. You know how to provide, I hate this term because it's so MBA-ish, but you you know how to provide value. You know how to do something out there that matters. How many businesses are started that fail and go nowhere because the person is not offering anything of value? Right. Right. So I think that's where you need to focus. Okay, this sentence continues, comma, and I'm constantly marketing on social media. Mm. Okay, you're telling me something you're doing, which is nice. I'd love to know more about like solving a problem maybe and succeeding there, but anyways. Yeah, by the way, search your document for L-Y space. Yeah. If you search your document for LY space, you're going to see the constantly pop up there. Yeah. You can cut that. Uh, really? You're constantly marketing on social media? Okay. One, you're not. It, you're literally not constantly marketing on social media. You do marketing on social media. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> but it's the it, it's just this... Um, it's a uh, inherently it's like verbal diarrhea. You know, it's just this, like I've got to throw in these magnifying terms all the time. It's the problem with overselling. You sell a little bit too far and then everybody kind of recoils and says, wait a sec, really? 
Well, you're you're just not. I mean, yeah. you're you're definitely not constantly marketing on social media because if you are constantly marketing on social media, then you're not doing a very good job for your students. Yep. You're doing other things. So, you know, it's it's like I get the point. You're trying to sell the idea that you had to do this marketing on social media. If you want to say more about what you did to market on social media, that might be interesting. But your claim that you're constantly marketing on social media is one, false, and two, just not impressive anyway. Okay. We have two spaces after this sentence, which is inconsistent in other cases where you only have one Yeah, there's space. one in some places and two in others. A side project emerged when I was hired as a teacher and administrator for a Beijing-based education company, semicolon. Okay, I... <laughs> Two semicolons so far. Yep. That needs to be zero. Wait, so why? I feel like we've, that's almost every episode in which we talk about personal statement, we revoke yeah. semicolon privileges. So I, I, I don't understand. Yes. If you're listening right now and you're going to write a personal statement, you are not allowed to use a semicolon. I don't care what you think. I think you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not talking to you, T. I'm talking to everybody. Oh, but I, I'm a good writer. I know this is funny. What I know talking. how to use it properly. Yeah. They mean don't use it if you don't know how to use it properly. No. Well, I do definitely mean don't use it if if you don't know how to use it properly. But uh, I also mean don't use it, period, because it's just obnoxious. And none of you it, know how to use it properly. Like that. This is proper. It's two related sentences, but the thing is you could just use a period and start a new sentence just do that. Cause it's a, it's obnoxious and you know, we're going to, when we read it, I mean, I can't help myself when I see it, I say the word semicolon every time, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, look at you. Fancy pants. You went to college. Wow. Semicolon. You know, it's, it's just like, there's no need for it. Why don't you use a semicolon every other time you use a period? Yeah. Well, so before we even go into the rest of the sentence, a side project emerged. So again, this is passive. Like, where did it come from? It came out of the ether. When I was hired, okay, again, you were hired by someone. Like, what did you do to get this position? There's so many opportunities here where you could talk about your decisions and your actions that led to moving the ball forward. You were hired as a teacher and administrator for a Beijing-based education company. Like, right now, my mind is thinking, are you the sole owner, operator, and tutor of your business that's booming and successful, therefore you don't have time for these kinds of things? Or are you kind of just doing a side gig and now you got hired for a real job? Yeah, right. That makes you look like an hourly employee from some Beijing-based education conglomerate. You could have talked about your work instead. You could have just said, like, leave Beijing-based education company out of it. I think that I think that he thinks that that sounds big and exotic and you know global and therefore more lawyerly for some reason. Yeah. But it has the exact opposite effect because it makes it look like other people are telling you what to do. You could have instead said, you could say instead, I partnered. Um, yeah, or you know. Um, yeah, just say what you did. Yeah. You know, like I adapted my lessons and learned some Chinese basics to better predict the linguistic hurdles ESL clients from China experience. Something like that, where it's like you're putting yourself in the driver's seat. 
you're solving a problem now instead of like this, well, I got this gig and, you know, in order to deal with these clients, I had to do some stuff. It'd be much better to just like make it look like your make it look like all that was your idea, because here it doesn't look like it was your idea. Yeah. So T continues for those ambitious ESL clients. I've adapted my lessons and learned from some Chinese basics to better predict their their linguistic hurdles. Yeah, it's almost like you could frame this as you expanded your market abroad, as you said earlier, by solving these problems for your Chinese clients. Um, it just would be so much better if, if T started with I. Yep. If you just let out with what you did. Yeah. You took, there it's like, 30 words and a semicolon before we ever get to what you actual, like you taking action. Well, what's interesting too, is when you use the word I, and then you say an active verb describing what you did, it becomes very easy to imagine you doing that. And you've done that in a few of these sentences, but you've done it with the things that aren't impressive. And with the things that are impressive, you've resorted to this passive voice that uses some abstract idea as your subject and so you're burying the good stuff and you're highlighting the stuff that's sort of meh yep duties that are specific to the administrative part of that role include interviewing hiring and contracting with other american teachers such a missed opportunity yeah i interview hire and contract other american teachers to serve our clients in Beijing or whatever, but just make yourself the subject of the damn sentence so that you can hurry up and get to what you actually do. This is like, it's just all through this whole statement and it's not just T it's a million other people who do this exact same thing. They're just like so reluctant for whatever reason to use I as the subject of their sentences that they end up with duties that are specific to the administrative part of that role as the subject of a sentence in a personal statement. That's an 11 word subject. Yeah. And it makes it look, it it just makes it look like you're being told what to do. Yes. It's like the the role. It's, it's not you, it's the role. Well, and you didn't do shit. You just have a job. We have to infer from the fact that the duties in this role (laughs) were things that you ultimately ended up doing. I interview hire and contract with other American teachers. Yeah. That's your sentence. Not this whole, it's just, I don't know. It's a very, it's like you're going out of your way not to make yourself the focus of the statement. The next paragraph says, the impetus, the impetus to pursue law is a recent one. (laughs) Don't ever say that. That makes it sound like, I don't know, like you had an epiphany and now you're going to law school. I'm worried that you're going to have an epiphany tomorrow and decide not to go to law school. After my college graduation, I took my positive experience volunteering at a neighborhood school and my ambition to progress in my own education as a sign that I should study teaching in graduate school. What now? (laughs) Listen, what? I... It's. I'm sorry. I I really appreciate that T tried to follow my recommendation, and my recommendation was not the only way that you can write a personal statement. It was just one way that you can write a personal statement. But T specifically said, "I was so inspired by your lesson that I tried to do that." 
but what the whole purpose of the lesson was, Hey, people skip around in the timeline way too much. I don't want you to skip around in the timeline. I said specifically that we're going to skip once you're going to say who you are, maybe in like a sentence. And then you're immediately going to go back in time. It's going to be one time that you go back in time so that you can say what you did, then say what you do, which is now. And instead <laughs> T is like started with the business, talked about how the business has grown and how over time, how you've improved whatever. And then we're now more than halfway through the statement. And all of a sudden we're talking about your college graduation what and you're and you're then going back to your decision to go to grad school <sighs> okay so t continues i worked for 10 years as a social studies public school teacher for grades 7 dash 12 okay okay interesting part of your history i mean Actually, I am confused. Um, Me too. I, I'm totally confused. I, how did you do this for 10 years, also run a business, and this impetus to pursue law is a recent one? Apparently it happened after your college graduation, but you've also had 10 years time to teach public school? I, I don't know what's going on here. Anyways, I hate this next bit. I hate it. I was drawn to teacher travel seminars and to postgraduate classes, but these attempts to keep me intellectually stimulated were not enough. Don't you hate that? <laughs> T, this sounds a lot like your excuse in your addendum. Like, yeah, it, it, you, everybody, you got to make yourself look like a positive, happy winner. And everybody protests too much. They think that they need to sell law school to the law school. Yeah. You don't. You're supposed to be selling yourself to the law school. And this, you know, the, the constant protesting that, well, you know, the reason is because all this stuff that I've been doing, it just, it just wasn't enough for me. Law school's <sighs> the place for me. That's where I'm going to be pushed to my Didn't... intellectual limit. <laughs> I feel bad that I don't remember the car guy's name, but didn't the car guy basically do the same thing in that last paragraph that we were like, this sucks. Cut it. Yeah. In the I think last it was episode? Jake, right? He was trying to justify why. And it's like, it's like, it's oh, like, he, yeah. He said that his career would not be fulfilling enough. Right. And it's like, and, and it was just this real jarring, like, dude, I already was admitting you because you're such a winner, you know, and I just see you as this positive, happy, confident, like I know that you're contributing everywhere you go. And then you just have to shit on your own experience with the, oh, but it's, you know, that's just, uh, I knew I knew it would never be fulfilled. And now here it's like these attempts to keep me intellectually stimulated were not enough. And it's like, oh, so you spent, I thought I was supposed to be impressed by this whole 10 year experience of teaching high school, apparently teaching high school and also running a tutoring company at the same time, I think, which you never really said that. And you should have just said that in a more straightforward manner. Um, 
but I, <laughs> I want to be impressed by all that. I want to be like, oh, wow, look at T. T's been kicking ass at a couple different things simultaneously. Isn't that great? And instead, T has to like just totally undercut it with the I'm not intellectually stimulated, which is just like such a sad, negative. Why? It also sounds it comes across a little arrogant. It's kind of like, oh, this yeah. is beneath me. And it's like All postgraduate classes. I'm sure there was something you learned from that. There was, there's something we can learn from so many things. Um, be positive and confident about the shit you've done. You have a lot to be proud of. You're, you're allowed to be proud. You're supposed to be putting your best foot forward here. You don't need to, you don't need to just then, you know, start talking about the downsides of whatever car you're trying to sell us. Okay. T continues. And this just, violates several of our rules ultimately i felt okay, <laughs> ly and the i felt okay. <laughs> yeah ultimately i felt we don't care about how you feel about anything choosing to work in 7-12 education sorry i just have to read that like that in 7-12 7 say high school yeah or, whatever i understand that it's probably junior high and high school but you can just say high school probably keep it simple you want to keep it readable anyway what did you feel about working in 7 to 12 education was like returning to a bubble i had lived in before what who cares we don't well, need to know this you're and moving that's meant forward to be, i think that's meant to be negative right i think that's meant to be negative what yeah. he's saying is what? When I went back to, you know, I, I was, I, I, this whole 10 years as a social studies, public school teacher, I guess you're supposed to then be talking about your masters. I think you think you're telling us about your masters and then deciding, but no, because to work in seven to 12 education was like returning to a bubble you had lived in before and you don't want to do that. Please cut all that. That's not, that's not what we want. We want, we want to believe you. We want to believe you as a winner and you, it's just, I don't know. I protesting too much. I know I've said this 10 times already today, but you're protesting too much. Stop it. Just say positive things about who you are and what you do. Uh, T continues. On the other hand, managing a small oh, business God. has thrown thrown a spotlight on the infinite ways local, <laughs> state, and federal laws. Oh my gosh, <laughs> are entrenched entrenched in my life. What are you doing? I've I've become a prepubescent attorney and I can see all the infinite ways that the law has infected my life. <laughs> Adventure what? Adventures in parenting and home ownership have only broadened the scope of that revelatory light. <laughs> what? I can't I can't revelatory light like so much of this statement t is you being the recipient of external forces like things have just come to you 
In the fall of 2020, I started three, the path. Three spaces, Ben. Three spaces oh, no. before that next end. I'm sorry, T. I hope you knew what you were getting into when you sent Just us this. Cut all this. I mean, what? It, it's. I mean, it's like, why on earth are you even including that? I think the fuck? he's trying Home to show. ownership. <laughs> what? How is that? Why do you think that is a relevant fact? He has encountered the laws associated with home ownership. I don't know. Tax deductions. <laughs> <laughs> so now you should become an attorney. Okay. In the fall of 2020, I started the path towards, should be toward, by the way, law school with a rigorous paralegal program. Okay. Uh, that was less than a year. That was nine months ago. Um, I don't want to hear about you starting the path. Say something that you do in the paralegal program. That's fine. You don't need to announce that this is the beginning of a path toward <laughs> law school. Well, also, I don't love the overselling of the paralegal program. It was a rigorous one, by the it's way. I've been doing ooh, a really how challenging. Rigorous. Yeah. Just say what you did. God damn it. While researching case law and writing briefs and memos, I've affirmed that I'm in the right direction. <laughs> You're in the right direction? That's not even a... That's what? I'm sorry. <laughs> Sweet, man. We're going to have you come to our school. Uh, Yeah. I've affirmed. I've affirmed to, to who? who? Yeah, to yourself. To yeah, to whom? Uh, not to me. Hmm. That I'm in. I mean, the... I'm not saying I don't believe in you, T. I'm just saying that this document does not make me believe in you at all. Uh, this is this is not what I was going for. <sighs> Too convoluted. Gigantic conclusions at the end. <laughs> I feel like I failed. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> This is not my intention. Maybe go back and read my my lesson again. This is a whiff. Man, this is not close. Okay. So everyone who's listening to this show right now, go back one episode. This is episode 301. So go back to episode 300, right? That's where we did Jake's personal statement, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't think Jake was necessarily following exactly my formula. No, you don't need to follow exactly the, my formula. I did shit. And that's what's most important. A million different ways to do it. Yeah. Jake did great. That was so good. And, and it was about a thing that many people would not write about. You know, I think, well, Jake was, yeah. he was like ashamed of it when he first wrote to us. And we were like, you know, I'd really love to see a personal statement where you just talk about what you did at the car dealership. And then he did it. And it's awesome. Yeah. Until the last paragraph where he <laughs> did a lot of this shit. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, T. Uh, I'm sorry for beating you up. I uh, this it's not what I was looking for. Uh, ben, who is T? What what is what is T? What what do they actually do right now? Um, I'm not totally sure. I think T is a t tutor. That's my guess, but it's a little hard to tell. The timeline's fuzzy. And well, the first couple paragraphs were about tutoring, and then it weirdly went into this like unnecessary shit about the. It just got all muddy with the grad school and the seven to 12 education and all of a sudden 10 years as a social studies public school teacher. That's is that supposed to be before the tutoring LLC? Because if it is, then you needed to say, I am the sole owner operator of a tutoring LLC. Then you go back in time and you say for 10 years, I was a social studies teacher 
in the grades 7 to 12. You could talk a little bit about that. Then you can bring it into the present day and talk about, you got to pick something. I, I don't want to hear about your master's program and your paralegal program and your tutoring. I want to hear about one of those things. You don't have time to explain all of those things. You need to just like focus on one thing that you're proud of, probably the thing that you do the most, and just talk about that. I don't think you need to bring up the paralegal program at all. I think that's a, a nice line to have on your resume. I think that will sort of, when they see that on the resume, they'll go, oh, this person has some idea what they're getting into. Look, they're already studying, studying paralegal. You don't need to mention it in your personal statement. It's too new. You haven't done anything, it doesn't sound like. Yeah, this is where actually saying something undercuts the implied conclusion. If you see a... No, because everybody's... Yeah. Yeah we're rolling our head, our eyes back into the back of our head with researching case law and writing briefs and memos. People are like, Oh, you just started a paralegal program. And now you think that you're, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Back to the drawing board T. Good luck. I mean, well, good yep. news here, right? Sometimes we read personal statements and it doesn't seem like we can even tease out one like story or historical fact that they could elaborate on. T, it seems like you have a few things you could elaborate on. So that's good. You have something to talk about. Now talk about it. It doesn't follow my format. I am a sole proprietor of a business doing tutoring, whatever. I used to do this. Then I did this. Now I do this leave it there. <laughs> I mean, almost everyone can just cut the entire last paragraph of their personal statement. Yeah. Everybody thinks they have to like tie it into the law. You, you just don't. If, if you look like a winner entrepreneur with your tutoring business, we are totally willing to go, Oh, okay. Yeah. This person knows what it takes to like go out and get business. Yep. Great. Cool. Now you want to come to law school? Cool. I don't really need to know exactly why or what briefs you've written in your paralegal program are not impressive to me. Um, okay. Pearls versus turds. Next yeah, one. Let's do it. Pearls versus turds. This is the segment of the show where we take a bit of uh, received scare quotes wisdom from the internet and we try to tell you whether it's a pearl of wisdom or a turd. Um, the uh, scoreboard heading into this is 14 pearls against 46 turds and 23 ties. Um, not a very good record out there for uh, tips that we find on the internet. The email says, hi, Ben and Nathan, new listener here. I cannot thank you enough for thinking else at semicolon. It changed my entire life in a matter of hours. You know, I would say I actually liked that semicolon usage. <laughs> Just don't do it in your personal yeah. statement. Do whatever you want in your emails. I don't care. Although don't use this font. Um, <laughs> it's that weird, like cartoony yeah, kind of font. And maybe I did that. Maybe that's a, maybe, maybe it's not because it doesn't, it, doesn't it changes change halfway that. through. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, I always wanted to practice entertainment law and having earned a bachelor of science in music industry studies, I am just beginning to understand very basic info regarding the LSAT parentheses, time, questions, format, etc. I came across this LSAC YouTube video. 
in which they advise guessing on questions you don't know the answer to. I know there is no penalty for wrong answers, but it still seems weird to me. Pearl, turd, or tie? <laughs> Sorry, you got to open up this video. Have you seen this? this? No, I know because ADOT even posted the video on our Slack and I only had time yesterday to watch like five seconds of it, but I was like, wow, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> LSAC really went for it on this video. Um, I got to watch the whole thing. I think we might have to come back to this video okay. for a future segment because this dude in the bow tie is really something else. Okay. It's called the Elsa and introduction, but anyways, yeah. Yeah. And it's by a dude who works for the law school admission council make, or at least did a few years ago. And it's like a parody (laughs) of what someone who works for the LSAC would look like. (laughs) I have a feeling there's a gold mine in this video. So we do need to spend some more time really digging in, but I want to address um, Abby, uh, Abby's question. I know there's no penalty for wrong answers, but it still seems weird to me. Um, ben, should you guess? This is on questions. Well, guessing on questions you don't know the answer to. Ooh, that's like misleading. Yeah, if that's the tip, it's a turd. Mm-hmm. You should be answering every question you get to as best as you damn can. Yeah, no guessing. Boy, read the question, read the answer choices, throw up your hands and guess at random is a complete waste of time. Look, if that's the tip, then this is a turd, 100%. Yeah, and almost everybody gets down to two answers. So if you have to choose, and I say choose, not guess, between two, at least you have a 50-50 shot as opposed to guessing. Even then, there should be like some sort of a gut feeling like, well, I'm not really sure why, but for this one seems maybe it's like a thing to do with the question type or something. It's like, well, this is a must be true question. And this one is worded a little softer. So if I had to pick between these two, I'll probably take that one because of the question type. But that's still not guessing at all. That's like getting as close as you can to the correct answer before you move on. If the tip is guess on questions you don't have time to attempt, then it's 100% a pearl. Most people shouldn't finish the sections and you should basically be planning on running out of time at the end of the section. Our man Carl scored 179 on the official LSAT and didn't finish his reading comprehension section. So it's okay not to finish. You can still score elite scores without finishing every single question in the section. You need to get the ones you attempt right And yeah, as Ben says, that's not guessing. That's getting as close as you can. Yeah, so you're not guessing on the ones you're actually attempting, and you are guessing, if you want to call it that, filling in just a random answer for the ones that you don't get to. And I thought I would just take a moment to explain something in the LSAT Demon for anyone who's using that program. There is some confusion about this, and we are going to make it easier to understand, but... If you take fewer than 10 seconds on a question, the demon's going to assume that you guessed and exclude that question from your accuracy results, regardless of whether you got it right or wrong. So we can try to tell you 
what percentage of the questions you attempted you got correct. But if the daemon is ever wrong, you can just click the no time icon and tell it that you actually did that question. You didn't just guess, or you can tell it the reverse. You didn't do that question. You actually just guessed. You didn't have time to attempt it, even though it thought you did. So you can fix the demon. But the point is to figure out what percentage of the questions you actually attempted you got correct. Because we're trying to get that as close to 100% as possible, even if you're only doing 15 questions. And the demon helps you track that by essentially graying out those questions that it thinks you completely guessed on. Okay, so we don't know exactly what this tip is. But if the dude is like, oh, try the question, and then if you don't know the answer, just guess and move on, then that is not what we're talking about. Yep. You need to do your work. Like the question makes perfect sense. You're going to be encountering easy questions at the beginning of every section and you should be solving them, you know, and, and yeah, you're going to encounter one or two questions where there seem to be two possible answers. And sometimes you're going to, you know, be 60, 40 on it and pick the 60, but I still don't see that as guessing. I see that as being as accurate as you possibly can. And then, yeah, you do want to bubble in a, a guess or click a click a answer for every question in the section. But that should take you no time at all. When the five minute warning pops up, you just guess on however many questions are remaining and then go back to whatever question you were working on and and figure it out and answer it correctly yeah. is the proper strategy. I'm sure that's not what this dude said. Continuing on, if you don't mind me asking, when should I apply to law school? Based on recent podcasts, I know it's too late for fall 2022. Um, fall 2021. Yeah, it's too late for fall 2020. It's definitely too late for fall 2021. I don't think it's too late for fall 2022. Applications haven't even opened for 2022. You could. It's possible that you could take August, kill it, still apply at the very beginning of the cycle. Yeah. Also, do you think my liberal arts undergrad degree will make it harder for me to be considered as a serious candidate? No. I mean, aren't most law school applicants liberal artsy types of folks? I think so. I, I get kind of what Abby's getting at. Maybe it won't. It's not like a hard science. So I don't think it's going to help you, but I don't think it would hurt you in any way. Well, the vast majority of law school applicants are not, you know, chemical engineers yeah almost all of them are history english poli sci yep criminal justice a million other different like you know soft whatever yeah so no that's not going to hurt you at all my cumulative gpa is 3.656 and i have earned 136 hours okay i don't care about the hours and i don't care about the extra six <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 3.6 is pretty good. 3.6, 3.7, that's pretty good. Yeah. You get the right LSAT score. I mean, you know, it might not be Stanford, but it's it, with with a 175, it could be Stanford. So I don't think any doors are necessarily shut to Abby. Hmm. Um, I was going to ask you, do you know what NOLA is? No. It says Abby from NOLA, N-O-L-A. I knew you wouldn't. Why did I know you wouldn't know that? I don't know. If I don't know, I don't know. Uh, that's... It's New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, I should have known that, actually. You know, it's sad. I did know that. 
<laughs> I saw that and I was like, I wonder, I bet Ben's going to like stumble on it. It's so funny that I watched you in the Google Doc highlight it. I'm like, <laughs> like you were going to go it? Google it. <laughs> That's funny. But I actually, We've that's just so strange. Long, I, I, there's a reason I know this too, but anyways, whatever. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, ben, what state has the highest murder rate? I'm guessing Louisiana. <laughs> Yeah, that's correct. Louisiana, like 30 years of running or whatever. Louisiana uh, has the highest. Don't lose that, that uh, 30 um, years running. <laughs> <laughs> I love New Orleans. New Orleans is great. Terrible weather, but awesome town. Um, Corrupt. Too. Anyway, uh, Abby, thank you for writing in. I, you know, if the tip is guess on the questions you don't have time to attempt, then the answer is yes. But I doubt that's the tip. And I'm actually pretty sure that this guy is going to think that you need to attempt every question. And I think we have to give this a turd, Ben. Yeah, we have to give this a turd and we have to unpack this video. Yeah, we're going to have to spend some more time with the video. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a wealth of uh, probably some good, uh, good ideas. And this is a clearly bad idea that you, you know, just keep it moving like that that's a terrible tip if you don't know the answer just guess and move on no penalty for guessing so you know just guess and move on and the problem with that the the biggest problem with that is that the questions get harder as you get deeper into the section so if you guess and move on too hastily then what you're doing is you're just increasing the average difficulty of the questions that you're actually going to have the time to attempt and uh many novices finish the they finish the test and they score like 140 because they're skimming the surface on the easier ones not really figuring them out and then wasting a bunch of time on the hardest ones that they might miss anyway even if they had unlimited time and that's why that's a uh, turd great okay cool hey if you have a pearl versus turd candidate we'd love to hear from you you can email help at thinkinglsat.com you can also uh, drop us a line on social at thinkinglsat um, really, we appreciate all of the emails that we get from all y'all. So uh, don't hesitate to email help at thinkinglsat.com and uh, ask us a question about literally anything. Make a comment. Um, we'll throw you in the mailbag for a future show. Yell at us if you want. We yell at you, so yell at us. Yeah, we do yell at you. Nice transition, Ben. Um <laughs> Last week's lesson, my uh, series of weekly email lessons, which uh, have been going out every Thursday, I, I I responded to a student. I don't know. Did you have a chance to read this one, Ben? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> the here's basically the here's basically the the email from the student. Yeah. Can you tell whoever's writing these explanations to stop being so snarky in their responses to the answers? Mm. When you start off with, oh, come on now, or Jesus Christ, what are you talking about? Or whatever in a response to an answer choice, yeah. then it's demoralizing for the student or whatever. Yeah. Thank you for your feedback. And I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to that view, but I wrote a column in defense of myself to say, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the LSAT. And I, I, I really believe that, that this is a fundamental lesson that you have to learn that the wrong answers are garbage. And so, yeah, you picked that answer. Fine. I mean, I'm happy to tell you exactly why it's wrong, but my honest response to that answer was what now, what are you even talking about? Or no way 
that is on the wrong team or something similarly like just harsh. And the reason why that is the reason why I react that way, it's, it's the reason why I'm so good at the LSAT. And it's the reason why Ben is so good at the LSAT is that we expect wrong answers to be wrong. Mm -hmm. We're trying to predict the answer to these questions and whether we do or don't predict the answer before we even look at the answer choices, we always are reading A with a background presumption that A is going to be wrong 80% of the time. Yeah. Right? So we read the passage. We read the question. We made a prediction. We know, you know, basically we know what the answer, frequently we know explicitly what the answer is going to say. Yeah. But even if we don't know explicitly what the answer is going to say, we also know that A is only the answer one out of five times. And we're not reading A hoping that it's correct. Yeah. We're reading A looking for the reason why it's wrong. Yeah. And it's a, it's just a, it is, I promise you, it is a fundamental transformative shift in your performance on the LSAT. If you start approaching the test that way. Um, when you narrow it down to three answers, you f that's a fail, like a major fail. Yeah. You're missing something. There, <laughs> there are never three good answers. There are almost never two good answers. Yeah. And, you know, a, a, an expert is probably going to eliminate all five answers far more frequently than they narrow it down to two. On the first read, I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I sometimes go, ah, okay. Well, maybe I was a little too harsh on one of those answers. But on four of those, I was right. Yeah. I mean, one thing people got to keep in mind is let's talk about the four wrong answers for a half second to double down on what you're saying. If you're only getting, if you're only eliminating two of those four wrong answers, so you're down to three, as Nathan says, and failing, <laughs> you got to keep in mind that the four wrong answers are 98% of the time completely dead wrong. There's no chance it could work as an answer and dead wrong for more than one reason. Yeah. So not, it's not like, Oh, I missed that reason. You missed two or sometimes three reasons that that answer choice yeah. is wrong. And so when you're keeping that open, yeah. that means you're blind to some right. serious stuff. Right. Wrong answers can misstate the argument. They can just completely whiff, like fail to answer the question, mm -hmm. like just not respond to the question. The wrong answers do not have to respond to the question. Yeah. That's important for you to realize. The wrong answers can be objectively wrong, like just misstate the argument. They can fail to respond to the question. And sometimes they don't even make sense. Yeah. Sometimes all of those things at once. Mm -hmm. So if, if I did in my explanation, hastily dismiss an answer, and then you feel that the answer deserves more consideration and you want a more thorough dismissal of that answer, yeah. all you got to do is hit the ask button. Uh, Abigail and company will get back to you within 24 hours with clarification and make sure that you get all the way there. We want you to understand. We want you to understand why it's so bad. Yeah. But I don't intend to stop reacting strongly to terrible answers. Yeah. 
because that's how it's done y'all like i mean the way we go fast is that we don't even read through the entire answer choice most of the time probably yeah like i i bet that on half of the answers i only read the first half of it and i'm already like hell no nope get out yeah, of here what are... you're not even answering the question yep absolutely right and so i and i know i'm like i'm defending myself like too much here but i'm doing it because i i'm like all i care about is you getting better at the lsat that's my job that's my business I win when you win. And so my intention there is not to insult you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the LSAT. And I'm trying to teach you that this is the way you should be approaching these answer choices. <laughs> I, I just had a random uh, thought. Uh, and this Great. is philosophical, so maybe Great. it means nothing. But <laughs> one thing that I was thinking about right right before we went into this segment is... Like, hey, if you want to yell at us, that's fine because, you know, we yell at you on the show. We rip apart your personal statement. But maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe one way to think about this is that we're not actually even then yelling at you. We're yelling, and this is going to sound maybe like splitting hairs, but we're yelling at the choices you've made. Like you have to separate yourself from your approach and you as a person or as an individual, it's like, these are things that you are doing that we need to correct, but that is not you yeah. yourself in a, in your essence, right? It's like, we're really just yelling at things that you are doing that you shouldn't be What do be you doing. do, Ben? What do you do when your two-year-old is like toddling off into the middle of the road? You grab them <laughs> and tell them not to do that. What if they're not within arm's reach? You yell. Yeah. And it's like, and you're not, you're not like, you're not judging them or being, you're not being mean. You're just instructing them in clear, immediate terms to try to, to try to fix that behavior. Yeah. Like I don't get extra points or money or anything out of being a dick. I'm not trying to be a dick to you. I'm trying to teach you. And I know that sometimes that ends up having kind of like an abrasive manner, but it really, really works for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I, I just don't want, I just like stop taking it so seriously. It's not, this is not a personal insult, but if that answer is a piece of shit, I'm going to tell you, Ain't no way that's the answer. And I would not even read the rest of that answer because it's clearly wrong. And if you, you know, if you read the whole thing and you really think that it's worthy of some serious consideration, great. And we can get you a full written explanation or in class. If you say, Hey, I really want to know why D's wrong. I'm happy to explain it to you. Yep. But, but in the moment when I'm doing that question and the, the behavior that I want to model for you is that you should react strongly negatively to that answer. You should have been expecting that it was going to be wrong. And the second it was going off the rails, you should be like, fuck you. No, out. Yeah. Because that's how people who are actually good at the test do it. They don't read A 
trying to help A be the right answer and then read B trying to help B be the right answer. And then the same thing with C and D and E and end up with two or three contenders. That's just not how, that's not a successful approach to the test because you're going to be wasting way too much time on wrong answers, which are professionally written nonsense yeah. in many cases. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate the feedback. I, I super appreciate your question. And if you want clarification, we have multiple ways to give you that clarification. But I am not going to stop being a dick to those answer choices. And I want you to do the same because that is the thing that's going to really move the needle on your score. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'm going to do a question and see if we can model this behavior we're talking yeah, about. Last couple... I've read them and let you answer them. Maybe this is a good one to flip sure. it. Sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh, this is test 73, section two, question seven. It says, party X has recently been accused by its opposition, party Y, of accepting international campaign contributions, which is illegal. Okay. Whether they did it or not is still way up in the air. Uh, all I know, I, I know two facts here. Uh, I know that accepting international campaign contributions is illegal. I'm not going to argue with that. That was stated. I'm pretty sure that's a premise of the argument. I'm not going to argue with the premises of the argument. I'm going to argue with the conclusion. So I read that and I go, yeah, okay. If they did it, then they've done something illegal. But I am also going to notice that they're being accused of this by their opposition. And so it's a fact that they have been accused of this. But it's not a fact that they actually did it. Okay. Such accusations are, however, ill-founded. So that's a judgment now. That's the, that's the speaker saying, well, this is a bogus accusation ill-founded, you know, I seems to mean misguided or based on faulty evidence maybe or wrong for some reason. But, you know, all I know is they've been accused by their opposition of this. The fact that their opposition is the ones that are accusing them of this does not mean that it's ill-founded. They could be 100% right for all I know. So I think that's going to be their conclusion. Um, and I'm wondering what their evidence is for, for why these are ill-founded accusations. Three years ago, Party Y itself was involved in a scandal in which it was discovered that its national committee seriously violated campaign laws. Uh, okay. I mean... The, if the conclusion had been such accusations are hypocritical, then I might have to acknowledge that it does seem like hypocrisy. If you yourself did it, then it might be hypocritical of you to attack someone else of doing that exact same thing that we know you did. By the way, I'm accepting that whole last sentence as a premise of the argument. I'm not arguing with the idea that party Y did do this exact same thing three years ago. I'm, I'm granting, yep, they were guilty. It was a scandal. They did it. But 
I'm not willing to grant that the fact that party Y did it does not mean that party X didn't do it or that it's wrong to attack party X for doing it. I ill-founded seems like based on shoddy evidence or, you know, like, oh, we shouldn't listen to these accusations because they themselves did it. We, you know, I mean, actually, if party Y did this thing, well, then who would know better if party X, in fact, did do it? Party Y would be like, oh, you guys did this illegal thing. And we know because we did that exact same thing. Remember when we got busted and it was illegal and it was a whole big scandal? Yeah. Well, now they're doing it. Well, that accusation should still be able to stick whether or not they're hypocritical. I don't care. It's like if the Trump administration all of a sudden was accusing people of graft. It's like, well, you guys are the biggest grifters there are. So I would probably believe you if you attacked somebody for graft because you know how that's done. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I would take issue here yeah. with you, I agree with that 100%. The only thing I would take issue with here is this idea that Party Y did what Party X is accused of doing. Oh, okay. I guess they didn't do exactly the same thing necessarily. It, it doesn't say that they accepted international campaign contributions, does yeah. it? It says instead that they seriously violated campaign laws. Okay, so maybe that means that they failed to document domestic contributions or they misused funds somehow or they whatever they did. Okay, you're right. I I didn't catch that. They they did they did do something though. They violated campaign laws somehow. Yes. But the fact that they violated campaign laws somehow certainly does not get Party X off the hook. Party X told why not both? They could why both, they be, both guilty? be super dirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Question 7. Which one of the following contains flawed reasoning most similar to the flawed reasoning in the argument above? Okay, so I'm in pretty good shape here because I was yelling at the argument. Mm -hmm. Again, not yelling at you, yelling at the LSAT. Yeah. On the logical reasoning especially, they just continually make bogus argument after bogus argument after bogus argument, and I know that my job is to call bullshit. Yeah. I have already called bullshit. Um, one thing that students do way wrong here is they fail to call bullshit on the argument, then the question says, which one of the following contains flawed reasoning, most similar to the flawed reasoning in the argument above, and they haven't objected at all. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, that does seem hypocritical. <laughs> and then they and then they like ignore the question, yeah. basically. I mean, they're quite literally asking you to match the flaw. It's it's not. What students do, uh, novices anyway, is they go in and they do this weird, like, well, I'm going to match one word to one word, and then I'm going to match one phrase to one phrase, and I'm going to try to, it's like, they think that it's like a structure yeah. operation, yeah. and it's probably not. It's probably a big picture match the flaw. Yeah. And I like to do these matching flaw questions as if I'm matching an objection, right? So my objection is, Hey, just because they did something bad doesn't mean that they're wrong when they accuse somebody else of doing something bad. Yeah. Why can't they both have done something bad? 
that's what I'm looking for as I go into these answer choices. I, I, and I would add to that that um, if you're doing the test correctly, you're identifying that flaw before you even read the question, right? And if you fail to identify that flaw, but you're still trying to identify that flaw, then you might have come to the conclusion that the argument is valid. And I've done this. I've said, okay, yeah, argument seems decent to me. And then I read right. which one of the following contains flawed reasoning most similar to the flawed reasoning right. in the argument above. And it's like a train has just hit me, right? I was walking across the tracks and bam, it's like, I am completely aware of the fact that a train has hit me. I'm going back to the argument and saying, okay, fuck, what is yeah. wrong with this argument? Whereas right. you're talking about people who are just like, okay, cool. Let's read A. And well, it's like, no train has hit by them. By the way, <laughs> you know, this could be a harder question if they didn't tell you to match the flaw. If they just said, which one of the following contains reasoning most similar to the reasoning in the argument above, mm -hmm. they could make it a much harder question it would be the same exact question. Yep. They just wouldn't tell you that there's a flaw. So the fact that they didn't tell you whether there is a flaw or not, doesn't mean there's not a flaw. But when they do tell you that there's a flaw, then your job is to match the flaw. And as Ben said, if you didn't catch it, you better go back to the argument and make sure that you figure it out. Like for example, if you read ill-founded, um, if you read that to mean hypocritical. Yep. This argument sounds good. Then you'd be like, well, yeah, that does seem ill-founded if ill-founded means hypocritical. But if ill-founded doesn't mean hypocritical, then they have said, you know, if ill-founded means false, then my objection is like, hey, wait a second, just because these guys did something bad doesn't mean that their accusation about Party X doing something bad is wrong. Yeah. Um, another way of thinking about these questions, these matching flaw questions, the given argument smells bad like it's, it's got a stink to it, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, yeah, come on now. You don't get to do, that's gross, yeah. right? Yeah. When I go into the answers, I for sure need an answer that smells bad. Mm -hmm. It's like so many times people will end up picking an answer that is like superficially similar, but it's not even flawed. Yeah. It's got to smell bad. Like I'm not picking an answer way. that smells like roses here. Yeah. I'm picking an answer that smells bad. And it's got to smell similarly bad. Yeah. So I think the, the best tool here is to try to match your objection. And again, I'm looking for, hey, just because they did something bad doesn't mean they're wrong when they accuse you of doing something bad. All right. Oh, I want to say one last thing, like a 15 second disclaimer. Yeah. I know some people are listening to this and probably saying, well, if the question stem helped you realize that the argument was flawed, shouldn't you have read that in the first place? And I'm just going to say, no, because so often when people are told that an argument is flawed and then they read the argument and I ask them, okay, is that a bad argument? Of course, they're going to say yes, because they know it's flawed. And then I'm going to ask them why. And they are going to think that they know, but they don't actually know. So the perfect test is actually to read the argument in the absence of knowing whether it's flawed or not and coming to that conclusion on your own so that when you fail, um, and then you get hit by the train, you're really aware of what's going on and what's wrong with your thinking. Yeah. And the reverse of that is that if you read the argument and you think that they have actually proven their conclusion from their facts, which they do sometimes, especially on parallel reasoning questions, yeah. obviously not parallel flaw questions, but on parallel reasoning questions, they frequently will have proven their conclusion from their facts. And you need to notice that too. Yes, exactly. Like our job is always to attack these arguments and some of them already won some of them like this one already lost yeah. 
other ones are somewhere in between where they're just kind of incomplete. And you do need to have that like an enthusiastic thumbs up, like summary judgment for the plaintiff or thumbs down summary judgment for the defendant or, well, I don't know. We're going to have to have a trial and, and you need to, you need to react to the argument. Uh, I, I really don't think it helps you at all to be tainted by the question stem. Not only that, but very frequently the question stem is just a distracting, confusing waste of time anyway. I mean, like it's all about the argument. That's, that's the game we're playing. Cool. Okay. So the question is, which one of the following contains flawed reasoning most similar to the flawed reasoning in the argument above? Answer choice A says, the plaintiff accuses the defendant of violating campaign laws, but the accusations are ill-founded. Do you want me to stop? I mean, it's like identical so far, but yeah, go ahead. While the defendant's actions may violate certain laws, they are not immoral because the laws in question are unjust. I mean, that's not necessarily even a flawed argument. If I grant that the laws themselves are unjust, and if, I mean, this argument reaches, well, it's ill-founded. Why? Well, because it's not immoral. Why? Well, because the laws are unjust. I, I can't just say that that's objectively wrong. The given argument was objectively flawed, and I don't see that as flawed. So next. Just a quick side note. I would say the, hmm, yeah, I guess it depends on what we mean by ill-founded. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't really know. It's unclear, yeah. but. Because they are violating know, like I have them. Just, I just, does that matter? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. They might be perfectly in the right. If, if we're, you know, if we accept as a premise that you're allowed to violate unjust laws, you know, or that it's it's ill-founded to accuse anybody of doing something that's not immoral, then A seems, that would be actually a sufficient assumption of A. Um, uh, anyway, I mean, even if it is, it's incomplete for sure. <laughs> even if it it's is just not, flawed. I don't have such a clear yeah. objection. Yeah, yeah, it's not the flaw that we were talking about. Right. Cool. B, the plaintiff accuses the defendant of violating campaign laws, but these accusations show the plaintiff to be hypocritical because the plaintiff has engaged in similar conduct. See that also, I don't think is flawed. Mm -hmm. A student, like a a total novice would pick that because it has a matching theme. Like the given argument did seem to be suggesting if you're hypocritical, then you're ill-founded. But B makes a specific conclusion of you're hypocritical And I guess a definition, one definition of hypocrisy would be accusing other people of doing the same shit that you do. Good. So I just, B to me seems like, yeah, maybe they are hypocritical. It doesn't smell bad to me. Next. Yeah. The key there is the conclusion changed, right? Just, yeah. Right. C, the plaintiff accuses the defendant of violating campaign laws and... In the past, courts have declared such violations illegal. So that's exactly the same so far. Um, I Again, I think novices would be like, well, courts, what do courts have to do with it? But the given argument said it is illegal to do these, this thing. And C says courts have declared it illegal, which really just means that it's illegal. 
Like, I don't care why it's illegal. I don't care if there was like a statute or whether the courts determined it to be illegal or, or what. It's just, it's illegal to do this thing. So they have been accused of an illegal thing. Uh, so C seems like a perfect match so far. Nevertheless, because the plaintiff recently engaged in actions that were similar to those of the defendant, the plaintiff's accusations are ill-founded. That's going to be the answer. Um, it's almost identical, man. That that argument is like, it's actually not that hard of a question, ultimately, because it uses so many of the exact same words. Um, they threw in the thing about the courts, which is a little bit of a curveball, but it doesn't actually change the meaning of the of the premises. Um, the ill-founded matches perfectly, but they didn't even have to say necessarily ill-founded. They, sh they surely could have said a, a synonym of that, you know, poorly judged or something like that. I think wouldn't, I think that would still make C the answer poorly considered or something like that. I would still, I think have to pick C it, the, the big flaw, right? Hey, you don't get to say that the defendant is innocent or that you shouldn't be making these accusations against the defendant just because the plaintiff did that similar thing in the past. They could both be. <laughs> yeah. Why can't they both be yeah. wrong? Why can't they both be guilty? Yep. That's my objection to the given argument. Why can't they both be guilty? My objection to see why can't they both be guilty? If I can match that objection, then that's the answer. I bet people who don't choose this answer get wrapped up in kind of what you were talking about. So one thing that this answer, Courts. huh? The courts, courts and also the yeah. time, right? So like in answer choice C, the plaintiff, there's a sense that like, oh, this stuff was in the past for the plaintiff. Um, I'm sorry, in the past for the defendant. It's not actually in the past, but there's this like talk, they use the phrase in the past and they associate that with the defendant. And then the plaintiff, quote, recently engaged in these actions. So there's this mm. weird feeling that like the behavior from the plaintiff is recent and the behavior from the defendant is somehow associated with the past, well, which is the, I've got to disagree, which I, is the opposite. The past. Yeah. But the past is referring to the courts in the past. Oh, Nathan, courts have declared such violations illegal. I agree with you. I, I, I'm not saying, Oh, but you're just saying like one way of misreading. Yeah, I, I feel like the vibe, like, like if you're just reading this, right, especially yeah. if you're reading it loosely, there's this sense, you're like, wait a sec, this switch. Because in the original, it said three years ago, the accusing yeah. party did this thing. And then this answer choice says, yeah. the accusing party, the plaintiff, recently engaged in these actions. So all of a sudden, people are like feeling mm -hmm. like, oh, wait, they've switched the time. And and so that's that's mm -hmm. not good. I mean, the plaintiff is needs to have done this in the yeah. past. But I see what you saying. have to realize that like things can be different about an argument, but not critical to the underlying reasoning and the underlying flaw well it doesn't even have to be about campaign laws no it doesn't have to be about one party accusing another party this could have been about kindergartners mm -hmm. you know billy was wrong when he accused janet of punching him in the face because two years ago or because yesterday Billy punched someone else in the face. And it's like, well, why not both? You know, you got to get to that objection. And, and the objection is going to be the same, even if it's in an entirely different context. So, yeah, we can't dismiss C because of superficial differences, for sure. D. 
The plaintiff accuses the defendant of violating campaign laws, but these accusations are ill-founded. They are clearly an attempt to stir up controversy because they were made just two weeks before the election. I mean, I would definitely object to that. Um, I would say, even if they are an attempt to stir up controversy, uh, they could still be correct. Why wouldn't you want to stir up controversy? If they are correct. If you're two weeks before an election, and if they are correct, you're going to want to make as big of a stink about it as you possibly can. So I don't care whether it's an attempt to stir up controversy. I care about the truth or falsity of the claim. D's not addressing the truth or falsity of the claim. But my objection to it isn't, is just there is no like, oh, but you yourself did a similar thing. That's not even in D at all. It was in the given argument and it was in C. That's enough for me to just dismiss it. So you're saying D is invalid or flawed, but not flawed in the same way. It smells, it just does not smell the same way. E, the plaintiff accuses the defendant of voting only for campaign laws that would favor the defendant's party. This accusation is ill-founded, however, because it attacks the defendant's motivations instead of addressing the arguments the defendant has put forth justifying these votes. Maybe it's logically valid. Sure maybe if you're accusing them of voting only for campaign laws that would favor the defendant's party, then you are in fact attacking their motives. Like, well, you're only doing this because it benefits you. And maybe that's attacking their motives um, rather than listening to their actual policy arguments, which might be like, oh yeah, well, sure. It does benefit us, but it benefits everybody. And that's why we want it. That's why we think it's a good idea. Um, Nothing there about, the person doing the accu- the accusation having been guilty of the same thing or similar thing in the past. And uh, I've already got C, you know, and I just wouldn't spend too much more time with it. Yeah. Sounds like you're saying E doesn't smell that bad, but even if it did smell badly, it's not the same stink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, because I really treat these as if they were matching objection questions. And we could even rename the question type, you know, matching objection, where you've read an argument that was objectionable, you should make an objection. And then when you go into the answer choices, you should be looking to match that objection. It's just another way of saying match the flaw. Match the stink. My objection to C, yeah, match the stink. We call it that. Cool. Okay, cool. You can be LSAT famous. Uh, get yourself on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have any questions about the LSAT demon, we have an incredible team of customer service people who will respond to you lightning quick if you email help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 301 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Mm-hmm.